Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And we're continuing our fabulous series, which is called The Road to Infinity, which is focused on talking to advisors in Hollywood and Silicon Valley who are all participating in a festival culminating in November, early November, called the Infinity Festival, which is all about how um, technology and storytelling are coming together. And so today's guest is actually the chairperson of the Infinity Festival. He's a former 20th Century Fox executive, and he is now the president of Decentralized Media Solutions for Live Planet. We're going to get into all of these uh, different roles that Hanno has had. But let's have a big Tech Cat welcome for Hanno Bossi. That's the studio audience, Hanno. I hope yeah, I got it. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Lori. Oh, it's it's such it's such a pleasure. So, Hanno, your entire career has really been about looking at new products, new formats, new experiences when you're really at in front of a, a big company and helping guide guide them. So, mm-hmm. give us some background about you know how you ended up at at, at Fox and now you're at a really hot company doing really exciting things so yeah. give us a sense of your background yeah so uh yeah like you said i've i've worked in uh entertainment related technology for all my life uh actually for all my professional life i should say uh uh and always in uh, uh research and development um as uh, you know i started out actually uh, you may actually not know this lori but uh, i started out at the uh, uh research uh r&d uh Institute in in Germany. Uh, it's called the IRT. I'm not going to bore you with the long name, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's basically the R&D facility for uh, the public broadcasters of Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. And uh, they are, um, you know, I joined them in 1991, and we were just starting to talk about and and doing a lot of research in uh, uh, digital digital radio, actually, in the beginning, and then also digital television. And so, uh, digital television has been uh interwoven in my career for a long time and you know when i started working on it it was a brand new thing i think there were probably maybe 100 engineers around the entire globe that actually knew what this was um and so always been trying to be at the forefront of things uh and and you know taking something that uh scientists developed uh came invented basically and turn it into a consumer product uh so that started uh, there um and then uh I worked for a um, for a broadcaster there for a while uh, in Germany called ProSieben, and then I um, joined Directv in uh, 1997. So I moved from Germany over here to beautiful Los Angeles, uh, which I'm never going to leave now uh, because it's the best place on earth to live. I think actually, <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, so you know I've done uh, broadcast systems engineering for them for a long time. So. Uh, you know, I led the project there to, when we migrated from uh, standard definition pro- broadcast to high definition broadcast. We were the first uh, platform in the world to to offer over 100 channels in high definition uh, resolution at the time. That was in the mid 2000s. Um, and then in 2012, yeah, I, I joined uh, uh, 20th Century Fox as their as their first CTO. They've actually never had one before. But I think uh, the chairman there at the time, Jim Giannopoulos, felt 
really strongly that they needed uh, to focus a lot of, more on on technology development and uh, re- research into technology questions that you know have direct impact on on entertainment and uh, and also create the the necessary partnerships to to execute on you know what we needed to do in terms of like you said establishing new formats but at the end of the day i think throughout my career it always has been okay what what technology trends are out there and how do they shape consumer behavior and what does that mean for our business that's fundamentally you know if i had to put it in like one sentence that's that's what i've been doing all my career uh, and I think that's so true. Though the way that I met you is um, when we first were doing um, the Infinity Festival last year. You headed up a panel of chief technology officers oh. um, at ver- various studios, and we had a um, there was a big discussion about all the different things that you're dealing with. And you you were how long were you at Fox for? Uh, a little bit over seven years. A little bit over seven. Years. So so what what was that experience like? Because you know, you could go in a hundred different directions when you're looking at technology for a major studio. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is true, and and we actually, in some sense, actually did look in 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 a hundred different directions. But then, obviously, you have to fairly quickly figure out, uh, you know, what the, where the greatest impact is, and where you know where we can actually provide the most value uh, to the studio. And like you said, uh, you know, really good relationships with all the other CTOs at the other studios. Um, an individual studio typically can't, you know, do a whole lot on their own, like establishing a new format, for example, a new way of reaching consumers. Uh, and so on the technology side, I think the, the, the studios have always, you know, worked pretty well together to, to make that, um, make, make those things real, a reality. Um, I would say, you know, there's, there were several major buckets that, that I think we're all uh, concerned about, um, and you know, some of them are more in the distribution kind of uh, area. So, for example, um, you know, we were actually approached by the consumer electronics industry to to figure out what the next big big thing was going to be after the migration to high definition television, and then also 3D, which kind of came and went because I think from a in home, especially consumer experience, it just wasn't really. Uh, all that uh, attractive to people, I think, because it's just too complicated to use, and the the cost and the cumbersomeness versus the the actual benefit wasn't wasn't good enough. And so they were looking for what the next big 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 swing was, and 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 you know, and we worked with them then on uh, on uh, 4K resolution, but pretty quickly figured out that just another increase in resolution is not going to really resonate with consumers because they're not really going to see the difference. Uh, between that and HD, if nothing else changed, so uh, we tried to really come up with a next generation uh, experience that included a much better uh, color representation, uh, a much higher dynamic range, so what's now known as, as HDR, uh, and obviously co- combine that with um, a much better sound, you know, immersive sound, and uh, that's how the uh, 4K uh, Blu-ray format was was born uh, and created, and so we worked with the Blu-ray Di- uh, the Disc Association quite a bit on that. Also, uh, I was the first chairman of the UHD Alliance, where again we tried to really get uh, the industry together to basically make this a new product, make basically to, con- to kind of 
communicate to consumers this is the next big thing everybody is kind of okay what what's the next jump big on thing? this right right jump on this this is the thing and we're all united behind this together that was the idea there and i think we didn't achieve everything we wanted there but uh, but we, we did make a lot of a lot of progress and so for example uh, one thing that came out of that was that all the hollywood studios now and i, I think that actually kind of, you know, kind of proliferated into content generation in general around the globe now. We're all, for example, creating 4K uh, HDR content the same way. It all gets mastered the same way, which also means that you get a pretty consistent uh, product into people's homes uh, at the end of the day. Um, so that was, that's one example of what we did at Fox. Uh, and again, you know, obviously I haven't done this, didn't do this by myself, uh, you know, worked with a lot of um, people at the studio, uh, at the other studios, uh, as well as uh, our colleagues from the consumer electronics industry. Uh, another thing I wanted to add then is another large focus for our R&D work at uh, Fox was uh, on the production side. Clearly, the uh, you know the transition from from shooting movies on film to digital is almost over. Uh, by now, you know when I started at Fox, I would say like in 2012, I'd say. At least a quarter of our movies were still shot on film, uh, and we still delivered a lot of uh, prints uh, around the globe um, on film. Uh, that has obviously changed since then. Um, virtually all distribution theatrically now is digital, um, and and almost all productions are digital now. It's it's just uh, once in a blue moon, you know, if you have an A-list director and they want to shoot on film, they either shoot on IMAX or or 65 millimeter. So, so at Fox, for example, we did um, um, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, you know, with uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, and he wanted to shoot that on 65. So we so we did that. Um, but I think that most of it is now all digital. And 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 so what uh, what my group was trying to figure out what does this actually mean if these assets are all digital? Because in the beginning, when we started. When the studio system started to migrate into digital production, they basically took all the elements that they used before when they produced everything on film, editing, and so on and so forth, and, and, and post-production, what have you. They took all their analog processes, basically, and just shoehorned them into a digital environment. But the total flow still was exactly the same. And so what we were trying to do was hey, this is all digital now. These assets, when they're being created, they're, they're in a different form, which you know opens up all kinds of new possibilities in terms of reutilizing these assets or, or you know, streamlining the, the production or, you know, uh, and, and stuff like that. And that, those are the things that we were looking uh, at also. And, and especially on the production side, there's so much that has happened since, you know, when I joined Fox in 2012. Um, you know, the proliferation of game engines now in the production process is huge. So a lot of the uh, digital production where, where you used to create an asset and then you hit render and it took, you know, a couple of days for just, you know, a sing single character to render with some animation, uh, those things can now be done in real time, which is a huge benefit for the creatives because they can sit there directly with the, with the digital artist and, and work on this character and have it animated and uh, and work, uh, you know, in real time at, at very high quality, and they can make changes and and edit and and you know, 
Choosing it, do everything, yeah. The creative juice is flowing right there. I mean, it, it, it it's, made... That's me- a total, yeah, that's a total yeah. a game changer, which I don't think regular yeah. people understand. But w- what you keep coming back to, which I think is so interesting, especially when we're talking about storytelling, is that you're really always trying to also get the community involved. Like, it's not enough for one studio to adopt a protocol or adopt a technology, but you really need the whole industry. So you, like, kind of laid out there and lead, which is is why you're probably always sitting on all these boards and chairing everything, right? Because you got to get everybody aboard the train. Well, I don't share everything. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Well, we have like five more things to have you chair. Yeah, so yeah. I know I'm, I'm more than happy to share the chairing. Actually, that wouldn't be a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, but but at the same time, you know, one of the things that really you know concerns me about the entertainment industry is that you know we've seen this for years. This this um, um, fragmentation of everything. We've seen the fragmentation of our distribution channels. We've seen fragmentation in our audiences, uh, and also, you know, the fragmentation into these different types of entertainment that people actually uh, pursue now. So it's you know, video entertainment, uh, you know, basically competes with gaming, with Twitter, with Facebook, with what have you, and and then, but also, if you just look at television, for example. You know, when I started at Fox, you know, so again, like in the early 2010s here, um, there were like maybe 150, uh, you know, uh, scripted television shows in production at any given time. And now we're probably close to a thousand. So uh, and that means that it's becoming harder and harder to aggregate an audience, you know, for every given show. And um I think the issue with that actually is that we're now exacerbating this by also uh, really um, fragmenting the the distribution side of things. All these different streaming uh, services, for example, now make it really hard to reach an audience. Uh, you know, and actually aggregate a, a sufficiently large audience around any type of uh, entertainment that justifies. The costs of making that piece of entertainment in the first place. Uh, so th- th- those are huge uh, concerns for me now, and uh, and that's why I've always tried to kind of keep it together and 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 stem the tide of this fragmentation at least a little bit, at least on the on the technology side. Uh, if if you look at VR, for example, that also is totally fragmented. That there are no standards, no no common ways of of distributing anything, and that obviously also is is one of the reasons why. Maybe VR isn't taken, you know, taken off, taken off, right? Much as we had hoped. Because so so much of what you're talking about in the end, even though you're sort of working a little bit in a B two B world, but in the end, you're going to see. So you you talk a lot about the consumer didn't adopt it. So whatever you're working on, that's always what you're thinking about, right? Is that people need to use this, understand it, be able to buy it, be able to call it something. Yes, exactly, and and you know, and and again, I think we're at a point now where the consumer is totally overwhelmed with the choices that they have. Uh, and and by the way, this is obviously not just true for entertainment. This is a more general problem. But if you just even just look at entertainment, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, and it's it's hard for people to find stuff now. I mean, uh, uh, don't quote me on this here. So, uh, but I've heard somewhere. 
uh, that, uh, you know, people spend several hours a week now just trying to figure out what they're going to watch uh, on their yeah. TV. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's really true. The way that I find out about good shows is really word of mouth. Yes. Um, because because you're not on one channel anymore. Yeah. And you're not in any sort of advertising flow. Mm-hmm. So I'm bouncing around to Hulu and Amazon, and you know, you just heard about today's announcement about um, Viacom and CBS and mm-hmm. what that streaming platform is yeah. going to be, right? And then we're waiting for Disney. Go to come out, and then we know we have Time Warner um, Warner Media coming. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you make of all that? By the way, like, is there is it? Does it feel to you like it's just new networks being born again, or is this really different? Um, I I think in some sense that's what's going to happen, or that's what what is happening is that you have just these different content brands kind of repositioning yeah. themselves, and 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 I think. Do, the comparison with the classic, you know, TV networks, TV channels that may uh, actually make a lot of sense uh, in in, in that way. It's just that if you think about television in the past, I think, you know, everybody obviously, you know, hated their their cable subscription and and what have you. And obviously I worked in the MVP business at DirecTV for a long time. But I think the, the one benefit that really the MVPD brought to the table was aggregation. You know, if somebody told me about some new show, okay, I didn't have to worry about whether I could actually watch it or not. I, I just had to, you know, search it on my DirecTV box and it would pop out, no, here it is, and I can watch it. I don't have to think about, okay, do I even have this? And nowadays people have to think about uh, uh, whether they, they, they have it. And I think um, um, the, the best, by the way, um, approach to this problem I've seen for now at least is, is the Apple TV uh, application where if I've had this several times, I actually just ran into this the other day, but we're looking at a show. Um, uh, it's called the boys, by the way, you should watch yes. it. Yeah, I, I've heard many, I've so, heard great things about it. It's great, but we didn't know what it was on. So just somebody said, you get, you guys got to watch this. And I just searched it on Apple plus and, uh, or the Apple TV app. And, um, um, uh, yeah, it popped out and it said it's in prime video. Okay. I got it there. And so, so I think, People will need, you know, solutions help. like that to, to, to help with that because otherwise, I think the, at the end of the day, this 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 ongoing fragmentation is not good for the industry. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because my kid all the time and I are trying to find like the show we heard about or something she heard on YouTube that she wants to watch or whatever it is, and if we didn't have the Siri remote on the Apple TV, like the latest Apple TV, so we could just yeah. say the name of the show. Yeah. Um, we'd be totally lost. And then usually what I end up doing is it authenticates, which is a really important part of this, authenticates through our cable subscription. So I'm still paying micropayments for some of the different things, but a lot of this is, some of it is umbrellaed inside of my cable subscription. And so there's always that moment when we launch something where I'm wondering, okay, is this something I'm going to have to pay for or am I paying for it? Or am I going to have to authenticate through spectrum? You know? So, so, so let's talk about where you are now Mm -hmm. um, because you're going to be looking at authentication and all these uh, consumer behaviors again Mm -hmm. um, in in your new role. So, Mm -hmm. Um, so you you are um, joining Live Planet and you're president of Decentralized Media Solutions. So tell us about Live Planet and then what the role is all about. Yeah. 
So, um, so Life Planet is a is a young company. I wouldn't quite call it a startup anymore, although we we're not uh, you know far from being profit, profitable yet. So, but uh, so the company's been around for a few years. Uh, I've I've been advising them for a while while I was still at Fox, uh, and then when I left Fox, it was the obvious thing to do is is, is join these guys. Um, the company was found, founded by Halsey Minor. He's uh, one of these you know, serial internet entrepreneurs. Uh, he founded uh, CNET.com, and obviously that that's been a huge success ever since. Um, he was one of the two first uh, uh, outside investors in Salesforce.com and helped, you know. Mark Benioff and his team to really grow it into what it is today. And so um, a few years ago, you know, this was, you know, around the time when VR was becoming a thing, uh, he decided to create a new, new, new company that basically would, uh, uh, you know, build a VR camera that that uh, solves a problem that a lot of people had in the industry with, with capturing VR, which is you can capture it, but then, you know, you couldn't really live stream it. And, and so we have a camera that, that, that can stream live uh, video, uh, uh, you know, works very well. It's uh, very easy to set up and stuff like that. But uh, uh, that, that's not really what kind of at the end of the day attracted me to the company because uh, what they had figured out is that behind, you know, just creating this, this camera, they had to build a, a distribution platform because like, like I said earlier, um, uh, for VR that doesn't really exist uh, because there's right, no common right. formats. YouTube when it wants it one way, uh, you know, the HTC Vive wants it another way. Oculus yeah, it's it's and, crazy. It's and so, it's so hard to figure out numbers too when you're trying to understand who's really watching. Yeah, and then so so they started to say, okay, we we actually need to build a distribution platform that can serve all these different outlets. Um, uh, and actually, also so probably support more than just our, our own camera. We we don't actually at the end of the day really care um, uh, because we want our platform to grow. And so uh, that platform is called Video Coin. Uh, and the reason why it has the name Coin in its name is because uh, it is uh, uh, partially it runs on a on a, on a crypto coin uh, a crypto token. Um, and it, it really uh, the the core idea here is is decentralization which is instead of you know somebody building huge data centers and and using only part of it for whatever they need to do um, we basically make it super easy for uh, anybody with access compute and storage capacity to onboard that into our system um, basically get uh, some work assigned uh, and for video coin that would be uh, primarily around um, video uh, processing and streaming and then, as as you do that, you you get compensated uh, for for that work that you do. Uh, and we use a crypto token to uh, uh, to support this. Uh, although uh, the actual uh, payment system is all in in what's called fiat currency or real money, like like dollars. And so, um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you're bringing together a number of trends here, right? You're bringing yeah. together streaming and VR and also blockchain. That's right, oh. it's blockchain. And uh, and so, uh, you know, the uh, the reason why I joined the company is because I, I, you know, I've come to a realization that this whole idea around decentralization actually is, is the next step, step in, 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 um, in compute uh, infrastructure. So if you look at the history of how, how computers actually evolved, 
you know, in the beginning, you know, if a company had a computer of some sort that was like this big honking uh, meme frame in the, in the basement of the company and, you know, people would use terminals to, to all log into this one machine, then at some point the, uh, uh, the, the personal computer emerged and then uh, those two systems kind of started working together in, in this client-server uh, environment, which then later, you know, grew into enterprise, you know, uh, data centers and, and eventually the cloud, where, where you know, and the only difference is that the cloud now is basically uh, not owned by, by the users of the, of the infrastructure anymore, but by somebody else who provides it for you. Um, and so... But the cloud is still somewhat centralized somewhere. So AWS, obviously, is, is, is a cloud provider, or Google Cloud, for that matter. They all work, uh, Microsoft, Azure, they all work the same. Um, you're still basically putting everything in, in some form of a data center. And, and obviously, the, all these guys have, have many of them around the globe. But it's still somewhat centralized. And I think the, the idea around decentralization is that at some point, it doesn't matter at all anymore who owns what infrastructure and uh, and that also infrastructure becomes more and more local. Uh, that you know you go from cloud computing to something that some people like to call fog computing. Like a cloud is in the sky, right? But fog actually kind of surrounds you. And that 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 is that that you know is is actually kind of the next step in in the evolution of of compute technology. And so and I'm I've joined the Life Planet to help them. You know with the strategy for that. We think there is uh, uh, some great applications in, in 5G mobile technology here. Um, so I'm adding actually one more, you know. Trend. <laughs> one more uh, Vogue uh, technology here. So you've got 5G, you've got VR, you've got uh, blockchain, you know. Uh, what else do you need? I mean, it's just, yeah. So, so I'm really excited about this because it, it really feels like uh, I'm like in a similar position as I was. Remember my, when I talked about the very beginning of my career, where digital radio and television was just emerging. I think this is also just something you know is just emerging. This is, but this, uh, yeah, I'm very confident that this is where the world's going. Um, and I, I did get to see um, a demo of uh, the the live streaming VR, and it's pretty cool mm-hmm. um, because you you know you don't when you're watching yourself. In VR, it's kind of a mind blow, uh-huh. and you know, um, mo- most of us. I was with some friends, and we're all like, "Oh my god, am I really that fat?" But <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. I, I, we all say the same. It, it's either the "Are you so fat?" or "What happened to my hair?" Right. It's probably more of a guy's kind of thing, but uh, yeah, that's what I think. You never out. see in, in in when we're standing in front of a mirror, it's kind of a two D reflection. So it's it's yeah. it's kind of um, insane to see yourself in VR because it is every sort of wear. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that will eventually become normal for all of us to to sort of think of things more more um, immersively. So. Is it a big different world now being at sort of a kind of startup, but not really than being at a big studio network? Or are you in, encountering similar cultures and mindsets? Because everyone seems to be, be leaving big companies anyway because of these mergers and starting new companies. So the community is sort of just moving around, right? You're running into the same people at these different situations? 
Yeah, I mean, as always, there's there's some continuity there. Obviously, I'm still in touch with a lot of my my former colleagues here, and uh, especially through the festival, also, which obviously is is, is still very much uh, Hollywood centric. But uh, but uh, in the, also in the new place, I mean, obviously, like I'm not, I didn't used to be part of the whole blockchain, you know, environment. Now I now I am. So obviously, I'm meeting a lot of new people. Um, and and it is kind of different. I mean, I, I think when I was at Fox, I mean, and by the way, I love the movie business. Always have. I love going to the movies. Uh, uh, you know, my wife and I we see like five six movies a week. Um, you know, and and, and so it, it's very near and dear to my heart. Um, great thing at Fox was there's all this tradition there. You know, all these great things that they've done in the past. Uh, you know, and, and it's not just you know Star Wars and, and and stuff like that, but really you know profound. You know, impactful uh, movies over the years, and uh, uh, and 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 that clearly reverberates in the in on the lot there. Uh, always had, and I, and I think you know people like the chairman there, Jim G, or the, the, the uh, his successor, uh, Stacy Snyder. They they obviously really felt and and embodied that. In in some other sense, I think we 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 worked like any other major corporation. We were part of Twenty First Century Fox, and uh, you know that that's a huge company, global company, and then that means certain things are easy. Um, like getting a meeting with somebody. If I showed up as the CTO of Twenty Century Fox, that was much easier than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go somewhere with this little scrappy startup, but. Um, uh, but at the but at the same time, there's obviously also also the flip side, you know, making making decisions, for example, to spend money or or or, or develop certain things in a certain direction, were 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 much more difficult, I think, uh, at Fox or or any big company. I'm, I don't actually want to single out Fox because overall we were actually pretty entrepreneurial for a large company like that. We did actually do a bunch of things um, uh, reasonably fast, but like. At, at the startup here uh, at Life Planet, um, you know, uh, Halsey and I talk every day, basically. And um, you and know, Halsey is your again your CEO, so you the, have this direct the, direct relationship with your yeah. CEO now, talking all the time. Yeah, and and we can make decisions on a dime, right? I mean, something happens, we need to adjust our strategy, we need to change our positioning, we need to change our focus. Those things are really, really, really uh, super fast. Uh, so we can just adapt much faster, in the, in the, but that has nothing to do with with the people that are here or had been at Fox or whatever. It's just a, a you know a function of how how big the organization is and how much administration and overhead that requires. It, it's just you know if for example at uh, when I was at Directv uh, before I left uh, at my in my last position there, I had a group of of uh, three hundred people to run, and there is just. That has to get organized, and, and and I know people hate processes and administrative stuff and what have you. But if you have a lot of people together, that just needs to get organized, and, and there's no way around it. Uh, you can't run a, a large corporation like a startup. Whereas right. here, you know, right. a startup obviously a lot of things are very informal, very quick. But that'll change once we grow into you know a sizable company, which we which we will. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that that's basically. Uh, that's what the, the enjoyable part right now is that we can just move things. But but I think the biggest thing for me still is that I really feel like I'm I'm at the at the cusp of 
of something brand new, uh, exciting, and and but I think this is all going to be you know mainstream in a few years. Uh, and we're helping making it so. Yeah, you know, it's really it's really cool, and we'll play back this interview, and you'll go like, oh, I remember when I <laughs> when I had time to go to five movies a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, um, let's talk a little bit about the Infinity Festival because, you know, we have this series running now where we're interviewing folks like you who are involved in in, um, this event, um, advisors, and you are the chair this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so tell us tell us why you're you're so drawn to this event, Um, because it really is, you know, normally you wouldn't do a podcast series uh, about a singular event. But it just so happens that this group of people is everywhere, everyone doing anything interesting in storytelling and technology in town. And so it's just a really interesting yeah. sort of aggregation of talent. So so tell us your perspective on it. Yeah, so uh, I think for me, the, the Infinity Festival is just a natural continuation of, you know, what I've been doing all my career Uh you know, you just mentioned it already. So the, the the focus of the festival is basically how to how do advances in technology basically uh, influence and change the art of storytelling. You know, um, and I think to me it's not just how do we produce stories, but also how we distribute them, right? So for example, VR is 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 a great example which you know, had some impact on the production side of things, but even more on the distribution, because you now all of a sudden um, can create experiences that are so much more immersive, you know, on the consumer side of things than you could ever before. And that changes how you tell stories, you know, because for example, just to stick with the example of of VR, I think that's a really um, um, good one to kind of use an example is, uh, you know, but when you when we shoot a movie, you know, the director shows you exactly what they want you to look at. And there's even, you know, um, an art around, you know, framing of the shot, how you use focus, how you use lighting, how you use, you know, what have you, uh, co- shot composition, basically, to really get this image across to you uh, and, and tell you this one particular point about the story. Uh, with VR, that's obviously not quite the case because here the the uh, the spectator is actually a much more active participant in the uh, in the action than they than they would when they just you know sitting back in their chair and, and watching a movie, and that has impact on a huge impact on how you tell stories, and it's not like you can't tell stories there; it's just a different way of storytelling. Um, Alex McDowell, he's a professor at uh, at USC, and he's also a production designer. He worked on stuff like uh, uh, Fight Club and uh, Minority Report, for example. Um, he, uh, in his in one of his uh, teachings here, he's comparing this with almost a you know going back to the way um, you know storytelling used to be before the invention of the Gutenberg press, because what the Gutenberg press actually really did was it made stories recorded all of a sudden on a on an uh on a on a medium that didn't change anymore so it made stories in immutable so before then you know storytelling was basically a verbal art and you know stories would basically progress from one generation to the next mostly in verbal you know uh communication i mean obviously there are exa- exceptions there are things that 
were you know written down even you know thousands of years before but 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 those were basically kind of written records but that wasn't a means of distribution the means of distribution was verbal communication and and what that meant was that the audience could always interact with the storyteller and the storyteller would actually react to the reactions of the audience and i think in some sense we're we're getting back to this where you you're in vr you you you're part of a story, but you're also influencing the story. You're, you're making it different. You're making it unique to your own experience. So if I do it or you do it, the two of us will actually experience a different story. We will be in the same world, in the same universe, and interact with the same characters, maybe, mostly. But our storylines will not be the same. And that, uh, I think, to some people, to, you know, the traditional Hollywood, that's a little threatening because that's not the way they're used to telling stories. But I think for a new crop of storytellers, this will be super exciting. Um, and uh, and that's just one of many examples. Like I said before, the fact that we can now use uh, real-time rendering tools uh, at these amazing qualities now uh, to do um, pre-visualization, use them on set for virtual production purposes, um, really high quality virtual production now, like, you know, the crew did on, um, uh, on The Lion King, uh, you know, uh, Rob Ligato, he's actually one of the speakers at the, at the festival, he was the visual effects supervisor there uh, for The Lion King, and, and, you know, he recently we talked about how, how they made this, this movie, and it, it, it's just astonishing. Uh, I would say even three years ago it would have been impossible to make this movie and, and now they can uh, because of the advances in technology and so those are the kinds of things that uh, we want to showcase at the uh, at the festival and it's really this this confluence of technology and storytelling because storytelling has always evolved and it's going to continue evolving. Do you do you think just talking about someone like Rob and, and other folks who are dipping into this do you think there are directors that are embracing technology and then some directors that are, are not and just feel very strongly that that is not about their art? Um, you know, well, yeah. Is, is there or and do they need to embrace technology or, and can they leave that to folks like you? Like how, what's the spectrum here of talent that that where things are going? I, I think like in the real world, the, the spectrum is is very, very broad. You have, you know, people that, that embrace this stuff right away. Um, and there's others that, that, you know, only want to think about it in their own way. Um, over our beer, I'm going to tell you a few names and examples, but, uh, but it, I don't know if I want to do this on the radio. But, uh, um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've clearly had interactions with directors where there are, you know, the ideas are just, we show them, you know, the work that we did at the in our lab at, at Fox, where we kind of, for example, took um, uh, the main character out of our Planet of the Apes franchise, uh, the, the chimpanzee. Cornelius. Oh yeah, yeah, not Cornelius. Caesar. Dating myself. <laughs> Caesar. Yeah. When we took him out of of out of uh, the movie, basically, and put him in in VR, we worked with our friends at Weta Digital on that. Um, you know, we showed this to people. Um, you know, some directors, you know, they would just sit there and, and, and had like 
50 ideas from Sunday and how they could use it and what, what kind of stories they could tell and how this could tie in with the movie that they were uh, developing and so on and so forth. And others would just look at us and say, uh, uh, don't you bleep with my movie? Uh, you know, so, so we had that whole gamut. Um, and, and by the way, what's interesting there is that it's not just like uh, that the younger generation is more inclined to engage here. Uh, we had one one of my favorite directors anyway, but again, no names here. He's uh, he's around 80 now. I mean, and he was one of our early adopters of VR technology and was really a, a great supporter. Mm. Um and um, so, so you have basically all of the above here, uh, and and I think, but that's natural. That's normal. It's it's the same as when I said earlier that you know, some people still want to shoot on film, and you know, for them that has merit, um, and it does. I'm I'm not going dis- to dispute it, but you know, but others obviously then embrace the new technology, what they can do with with you know digital capture, uh, you right. know, and and, right. and and stuff like that, and so. So you always have everything in people, you know, it's an art. So people will feel their way through it. And, and, and as a technologist, all I want is people to tell the best stories that they can. And, and we just want to help them do that. Uh, and if there's new inventions that we can show them, hey, now you could do it this way or, or how, look how easier it is now. Or if you do this, you actually just opens up a whole new um, uh you know, world, right. a whole new world of, or a whole, you know, of opportunities, you know, you want to do that too. I mean, that was even true with stuff like, um, you know, the, the, the work that we, we did with Blu-ray there on 4K HDR and the wide color gamut. I mean, we, it basically, and I think people under, underappreciate what that actually did was, but we gave our artists a much uh, more vibrant, much larger canvas to draw upon than they did before. I mean, we, you know, with HDR, with high dynamic range uh, technology, you know, they all of a sudden could pull out a whole other look, a whole other, you know, a lot more detail, a lot more uh, storytelling, you know, re- relevant uh, uh, aspects out of the shots that they already, you know, filmed. And, uh, and so even that actually ended up being a very artistic uh, tool for people to use. Um, and, and that's what we're doing here. Is we're 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 just adding tools to the toolbox and make the canvas bigger and and and, and of better quality. Uh, it, it's amazing when you think about how much change has happened in in a short period of time. And again, some professionals are very flexible and some aren't. What about the conversion right now to of live experiences and you could talk about live planet sort of bringing some of that to the table mm-hmm. with theatrical so experiential moments that are high tech but are still in person and so you're sort of combining live theater with technology mm-hmm. well i think th- th- that actually is a is a very incre- interesting question um because I, I think obviously vr what um um, you know, what a lot of people are concerned about, and I think rightfully so, is that it isolates people more, you know, because everybody's in their headset. Uh, so that even if, if let's say, you know, my wife and I sit on the sofa here and watch, uh, uh, watch, um, watch a movie, we're still sitting there together. If I, if we're both of us sitting on the, on the same sofa, but with our uh, VR headsets on, then we're kind of doing our own thing. 
you know, we're not really experiencing this together. And so, um, but at the same time, though, if you're, for example, if you can't afford to go to a rock concert, for example, uh, either because you can't afford a ticket or it's too far away or in some, you know, little town and the concert happens, you know, 200 miles away or, or a thousand miles away, if you then can actually, uh, you know, put on your VR headset and, you know, it makes you feel like you're part of the crowd, that's also some form of a communal experience. And so those are the kind of things that we're kind of looking at right now. So on the one hand, you know, you, some, it leads to isolation, but at the same time can also lead to more of a communal in, 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 uh, experience, if, if, if that makes sense. And I think, um, you know, bringing people to theaters, I think that's also very important because, you know, people do go to, to, to the movies, uh, to a theater for the communal experience. They want to not just sit there on their own. They want to, you know, yeah. hear There's other nothing, people. I, th I think personally, there was nothing more exciting than watching the last Avengers and have, and cheering with the audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it made it so much more fun. And it was also an experience to be in the movie theaters during that week because mm -hmm. they were packed and it was the only movie playing. Yeah. And, and it, there was just an excitement in the air. People were like charged, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, that's, 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 that's part of what I'm kind of worried about a little bit is that the, the, with this fragmentation and, in the industry that these, these experiences will, will not be as frequent as they used to be. Uh, I mean, it's the same with the, with the music industry, right? I mean, we're, we're, you know, there's very few acts now that can really aggregate a large audience. You know, most people just come and go, or, or even if they're, if, if they have some staying power, they, they, they still only, you know, aggregate a fraction of the audience that, that they, would have been able to in like the the Haiti of the music industry in the seventies and the in the eighties. So that's just, um, but I guess that's that's just where we're where we're headed here. Yeah, it's it's um, complex because you don't want to uh, you want to foster the technology and foster the new behaviors, but you don't want to let go of the things that were magical about it before. Oh, yeah. yes, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's that it's that combo because you know my my kid who's nine always says she doesn't want to do the three D because she doesn't like wearing the glasses and she just mm -hmm. wants to enjoy the movie for what it is. Mm -hmm. So so I never watched three D with her and I don't blame her for feeling that way. You know she may change her mind in another year or two mm -hmm. when, when you know maybe when she's less sensitive to stimuli or something like that. But it's just. It's interesting, you know, we don't want to let go of what works, but we, we have to move forward, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, by the way, uh, yeah, I, I hear you, by the way, let's just wait until the new Avatar comes out. We'll see if uh, Jim uh, Cameron can, can do it one more time and convince people that 3D is a good thing. But uh, but I, I actually, by the way, had a similar experience with my daughter when she's, she was a, a young teenager, and uh, we saw uh, the first Hobbit in high frame rate, and we walked out of the theater and she's like, uh, dad, what was wrong with that movie? That looked like a cheap video. Um, and, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously not all, um, you know, technology advances really work, uh, you know, and okay, then we just got to move on and do something else. Although, you know, even with high frame rate, you know, maybe that's also just an art form that needs to be, that needs to evolve a little bit more, you know, maybe we just haven't really figured out how to, how to use it yet. Um, um, looking forward to the Gemini Man, by the way, by, by Ang Lee, yes. which shot at 120 frames uh, per second. So, 
and fingers crossed maybe we'll we'll have that at the festival as well um no, no official announcement i don't know if we're gonna get them or not but uh we're hoping anyway so the yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah right. uh, if you're listening uh, we'd love to have you uh right. anyway, and, and, and i I did hear rumors, and that's the other wonderful thing about the Infinity Festival, too, is we'll have people like you who have been at the forefront um, on the technology side, and then we'll also have, you know, uh, directors and storytellers on the, that side who are coming together to, ha to have these discussions, and that, that's kind yeah. of what's necessary right now, right? Right, it's, it's, and, and again, you know... Uh, I'm an engineer, but I would never, you know, develop a new technology just for the for the sake of developing a new technology. It has, has to make sense. It has to has to get used. And and you know, and if we if that means we have to change something, we have to tweak something to make it better, to make it usable, or in some cases we just won't use it, you know, move on. Uh, that that's fine too. But but uh, again, you know, technology in my mind always is just a means to an end. It's never the beginning or the end of something. Yeah, that's very true. Well, we have to wrap. I can't believe how how fast this went because there are so many fun fun things to talk yeah, to you yeah, um, yeah, about. Talked about AI and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I know that that AI is a big part of what you're doing too. I mean, you are literally sitting at the center of every trend right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're like the trend master. Yeah, um, but you we, are. That that's your role. Not that's me. right. <laughs> well, we've been talking to um, to Hano Basi, who is the former um, former CTO of 20th Century Fox, who is now um, joining Life Planet as president of the decentralized media solutions, Life Planet VR, which is so cool. All sorts of different trends uh, coming together for that hot company, um, and then also chair chairman um, of the Infinity Festival, which um, is happening in November, and a great conversation about where technology and storytelling telling are coming together. So thank you so much, Hanno. Yeah, thank you, Lori. It was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear what other new trends you're working on. It's like, how many more can you fit in? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> See, but, you know, which it's, it's a great time to be an engineer, actually, in L.A. Uh, right. Yeah. Engineers are cool now. That's totally true. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Tech Cat Show. We're on the road to the Infinity Festival, continuing um, our series um, on talking to advisors and people who are really sitting at the center of everything happening in storytelling and technology. Thank you so much, Hanno. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another great advisor on the road to infinity. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat. Talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 